We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 35. Okay, this episode is so interesting. Our guest today is from Montana, but she travels across the U.S. as an equine osteopath. She owns her own business, she barrel races, and studies at the Vlugan Institute for Equine Osteopathy and Education. This girl has an amazing story, and what she can do with horses is pretty remarkable. So, here is our guest today, Jordan Payne. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you had to trek out of your home and come all the way out to uh, a connection and Wi-Fi to do this interview. So I appreciate it. Would love to hear about your story um, with osteopathy as well as uh, your riding. So kind of take us back and walk us through how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, I mean, I've grown up with horses. Uh, I've been riding since I was two years old. Started off doing kind of everything, you know, 4-H stuff growing up until I was about 10. At uh, 13, I started barrel racing, and that's kind of been history since then, you know. I do still currently barrel race, rodeo, jackpot a little bit. Got three of my own, trained my own horses, but horses have always been the center point of my life for sure. And as far as osteopathy goes, you know, I always thought I wanted to train horses growing up. So as soon as I got out of high school, um, I'd been riding for a couple different guys. And I just started right into horse training, did that for about five years. And then I actually found out about osteopathy after that. And that's my true calling in the horse industry for sure. Just how the body works and its own kind of autocorrection system that it has in place just is absolutely fascinating to me. So yeah, I actually found out about osteopathy through a vet back home in Ohio and um, yeah, signed up and the rest has been history with that. So Amazing. Yeah. So for those uh, listening who do not know anything about osteopathy, how would you define it? Okay. So osteopathy is, it's a manual therapy um, and you work based on the three kind of different pillars of the body. So you have your cranial sacral system. You know, if you ever heard of cranial sacral therapist or anything like that, mm-hmm. you're actually just, in, you're working on the membranes in the skull, like your dura mater. And then you're also looking at, you have what it's called sutures in your skull. So you want to make sure that all those are free and mobile um, to allow like your CSF to circulate like it should and just have that homeostasis in the cranial sacral system. And then also with osteopathy, you're looking at kind of more the chiropractic side of it. So you're looking at the mobility of just the skeleton in general. So your spine, whole body, you know, so that's adjustments pretty much is that side of it. Very important thing that gets overlooked is the connection between your viscera and your organs to the spine. You have four times more messages that go from your organs to your spine than your spine to organs. So a lot of times if you have reoccurring issues, um, you know, maybe like a particular part of the back that locks up, it might be stemming from something going on in that organ. You know, it could be immobile, things like that. So those are kind of the three uh, basic principles of osteopathy. Uh, that we like to work under. So it's just kind of more of a whole horse look than just, you know, massage therapy or chiropractic or something like that. So 
I know you said that an, a vet had told you a little bit about osteopathy. Did you have any type of anatomy background or any type of knowledge as far as uh, that medical sense of like how a horse's body works? Or, or did you learn that after the fact? How did that kind of come to be? One of the guys that I used to ride for and train for, he also did um, some body work and some manipulations and things. So I, when I was 18, I learned from him. And then I also took a class down in Texas and I was doing a little bit of body work prior to. So this vet, I just met her and we hit it off and started talking about that, you know, the therapy I was already doing. And then she introduced, you know, told me about osteopathy and that's what I want to do, you know, actually fix these horses and not just kind of band-aid it. Um, Not to discredit any other therapies or anything like that. It's just, for me, osteopathy was more to get down to the root cause uh, versus a lot of these horses were coming back with the same issues, you know, every six or eight weeks or so. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes, you know, they still need that. It just depends case to case. Sure. I'm sure at this point you have a lot of regular clients and horses that you're seeing. Do you usually find that this, uh, seeing them every six to eight weeks is kind of a good benchmark? Uh, It just depends on the horse, honestly. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of kind of structural damage or things that you can't really change going on, sometimes it will need to see those horses about every eight weeks or, you know, eight to 12 weeks. A lot of them, you know, how I normally structure it is might work on that horse and then I don't want to see it again for, you know, eight to 12 weeks because it just varies so much. They're like us. Some of them, you know, you work on them that first time and they can go six months without seeing you again. A lot of times, you know, I'll just tell people eight to 12 weeks at first, get to know that horse. And then, you know, we can say, okay, I'll see you every six weeks or every um, six months or every three months. But yeah, it just kind of varies. I like to push off more if you can, because, you know, the body, what you want to achieve is for it to maintain itself and not depend it on you, uh, keeping it mobile. So that's how I like to structure things. Got it. Got it. Um, do you find that you are working with a particular discipline? Like, are you working with a lot of uh, barrel racing horses or are you kind of branching off to different disciplines? What What does your clientele kind of look like? Uh, it just depends. So I go kind of all over the country when I go back east. So I go back to like Ohio, Indiana, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, all that. I work on quite a variety of horses there, rainers, cutters, um, barrel racers, pleasure horses, Amish horses, eventers, um, hunter jumpers, everything like that back there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out here in the West, more where I live, it's just mostly rodeo horses, kind of barrel horses and rope horses and ranch horses. So I work on quite a variety of them. Yeah. Um, Do you see specific tendencies uh, between disciplines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I guess how specifically do you want to know? But yeah, there's a, you know, a lot of your eventers and, uh, you know, hunter jumpers come off the track. Mm -hmm. And then with your barrel horses, you know, you have a lot of those coming off the track too. So there's definitely certain tendencies that I'll see with that. A lot of SI issues. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of TMJ issues. I mean, you're going to find that in most of them anyways. Sure. But there's some specific things that you can definitely tell the ones that come off the track. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's say you are, you know, meeting a horse for the first time, kind of doing your first initial 
evaluation, what do you usually, and if you're not given a ton of background information on this horse, what does that session kind of look like, that first evaluation of a horse? Generally, I'll start off, well, you know, I get quite a extensive, or I try to get quite of an extensive history on that horse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I want to know everything pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have to start off, uh, that way I can watch it move. And then I go through and I'll go through every piece of that horse, every part of it. And, um, then I sit back typically and I'll kind of put, try to put it all together. Kind of the, I guess the, I don't want to word it, the story of that horse, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Um, and what is truly going on there. And then I'll go ahead and start with my therapy and working on that horse. You said you try to get, um, a bunch of different pieces, you know, for that history, what kind of things, what would be kind of the ideal amount of information? Like, are you wanting x-rays? Are you wanting, like, what, what, what does that look like? So like, you know, when I'm asking, getting the history on that horse, we'll want to find out, did it have surgery? Uh, did it have any traumas, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, uh, illnesses in the past that it's tried to overcome for a long time obviously straight injuries, like tendon injuries, things like that. Um, and then, you know, as I'm going through the horse, there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, I need x-rays before I can move further. Mm-hmm. You may yeah. or may not know of something going on, you know, like if you find, you know, I found like broken necks and things like that. And mm-hmm. some owners are aware, sometimes they're not. So wow, just kind of depends. Okay. How often are you looking at a horse, gathering all the information, figuring out what it's kind of like reoccurring issues are? You realize that it is reoccurring because of how the horse is being ridden or, or maybe a rider's imbalances. Quite often. Yes. Mm-hmm. Quite often. And, you know, kissing spines kind of becoming pretty popular now. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yep. So that's one thing that I typically try to talk to the owner about different ways to maybe ride that horse to get it a little bit stronger and correct those things. Sure. I don't know about to correct those things, but just get them riding a little bit more correct mm-hmm. uh, or whatever discipline that horse is doing or what it needs to, what its job is. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, just an example there, but yeah, rehab's a big part of what we do. Mm-hmm. If you don't, do your homework after I get done working on that horse and do the backing or the Cavaletti work or whatever we decide is best for that horse in that situation, mm-hmm. you probably see the improvement like you should. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that homework because I feel like I'm sure a lot of the stuff that you have your clients do is probably beneficial for the overall strengthening of most horses. Uh, so what are some things that you usually have people do? Um, let's say with Cavaletti work. Yeah. Um, Cavalotti works wonderful, especially when you have, you know, just weak hind in or stifle issues. Uh, I really like people to work on the Cavalettis. Also, if you can ever find, you know, just a Creek or if you have maybe the facility that you could, um, put them on the, like aqua trainer mm-hmm. and get them strong with that. That's wonderful. My biggest thing, I think that's the most important for all these horses. Doesn't matter what discipline is backing. I think should every step forward should take two steps back. It's that important and because it'll strengthen the whole lower back. It'll strengthen the, actually the back in general, the yeah. whole hind end, and it just will help stabilize that sacrum, um, which is going to help out your hawks and your stifles as well. It's just, I think, in my opinion, the most 
the best thing that you can do for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel like it's something that doesn't, uh, at least I know in, in my discipline with hunter jumpers, the, Mm -hmm. that backing up is usually signifying, uh, something, you know, a correction for a horse or Mm -hmm. they didn't do something properly where really it's a, it's a big, I know it's a big part of my warm up is backing up horses. And, but sometimes it takes a minute for a horse to understand that, you know, that backing up is a good thing and part of the exercise and not because they've been, you know, used to it meaning something else. Um, so how would you say is, uh, that, that you tell your clients is a proper use of backing uh, during a workout? Well, first of all, just my opinion, you know, if you do have one of those horses that backing has been a form of punishment for it, Mm -hmm. you need to kind of get that reversed a little bit, you know, make it, rewarding for them. Start them off slow. Obviously you're not going to back football fields the first time going to want it. Um, but just start off slow and make sure that they understand that it's not a terrible thing to back and then just kind of start easing them more and more into it. Make sure, uh, also, you know, sometimes horses will refuse to back because they have, you know, maybe a depressed sacrum or something going on there. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them. So make sure that you have a therapist out to make sure that they're mobile there. And then you have to put that to work because they're still going to resist it after that. Sure. Uh, But yeah, just start on slow into it and then just make it part of your routine. I mean, yeah, I I back football fields on my barrel horse. So wow. Because I think it's that important. And then the more you do it, the stronger they're going to get, the easier it's going to get for them. Uh, How do you feel about hill work? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And backing up hills. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's real good. Start off on a slighter incline and then you can do a little bit steeper, but just a nice, doesn't have to be a huge hill or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just a smooth incline. Yeah. Yeah. As far as Cavaletti go, um, do you like, uh, mostly like walk trot Cavaletti sequences? Yeah. Yeah. Just trot Cavaletti sequences. Mm -hmm. Um, anything that changes it up with that horse that makes them pay attention to where the feet are at. Right. You know, they're not just mindlessly going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, hey, it's me, Bethany, again. I wanted to interrupt really quick to let you in on something that we are doing right now that I am so excited about. If you are involved in the equestrian influencer space or have your own small business, this is for you. My friend Leah from Dapple Bay Co. and I are hosting a in-person workshop in South Florida during week seven of WEF, which is February 21st through the 23rd. This is going to be an intense workshop with about 12 other equestrian entrepreneurs for you to really network and to narrow in on your goals for your business. So would love for you to sign up. Finding a community makes everything better and is something Leah and I experience working together firsthand. We want this first one to be a small, tight-knit group, so spaces are limited. To apply for the workshop, head over to myequestrianstyle.com slash workshop for more information and your application form. For your work, I mean, this is this has become your full-time career, correct? This is what yeah. you're doing all the time. Um how do you balance that and travel and working with your horses? How, how do you have time for it all? Oh, it is so hard. <laughs> I, um, I actually took most of the year off this year. Um, it was the first year I hadn't went to jackpot or rodeo since I could even remember, actually. 
I didn't go anywhere this year, but this, I actually plan on legging up and running a little bit this winter, but it's hard. It's very tough, especially, you know, cause I travel so much. If you're gone for three weeks and you're only home for a week, it's hard. Keep those horses legged up unless you pay someone to ride them, which I right. did do. I have done a little bit, Okay, but yeah, that's definitely tough balancing home life and being on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. Heck, we haven't even unpacked yet. We just got home last night. <laughs> Colorado for a couple of days and got in from Fort Worth last night. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems like quite the busy schedule. Um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? When I hear back from my clients, hear, you know, positive feedback from my clients or they go to, you know, a barrel raise um, or a show and, and perform well, um, mm-hmm. that that is almost better than me going out there and, you know, getting a check. So totally, I just, I love hearing back from people. It makes my world. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say is the most challenging part of your role? Scheduling. (laughs) Oh yeah, I bet. No, probably the most challenge. Yeah, probably scheduling because I just love the rest of it. I like the traveling. I like being the clients. I mean, you know, you're going to run into difficult horses because they're in pain. There's a reason they're seeing you. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really neat to see just the people that you meet along the way. That's been mm-hmm. something that's definitely been unexpected because I got mm-hmm. into it for the horses, not really the people. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would, you had kind of touched on this earlier when we talked about what the first evaluation of a horse would look like, but can you walk through in, in a little bit more detail about what you're actually doing with the horse in the, in those three, um, I know you said like kind of like three points or three areas that you focus on. Yeah. So, you know, after I get my history on that horse, kind of get a feel for it, um, watch it walk, then I'm going to go ahead and go through and I test everything. So I'm going to test the whole spine, the hind limbs, uh, or the front and hind limbs, you know, test the neck. And then I'm actually going to feel on the skull, see what's going on in that craniosacral system. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something that it's called a PRM and it's kind of your, your vital force of life. You're going to actually feel the, uh, cerebral spinal fluid. You can feel it rushing back and forth in the body. Okay. On voodoo, but it is a thing. It's a measurable thing. It's just metabolism is all it is. So okay. it's that CSF being uh, catabolized and anabolized, just back and forth. So mm. that's something that's really important to feel on these horses within the cranial sacral system. It gives you a lot of feedback about how stressed that horse is. Um, you know, maybe it had a really bad trauma and that PRM isn't even there. Mm. Uh, that thing that we really pay attention to. Um, so that's kind of testing the cranial sacral system, the main thing that we test at first. And then obviously you're testing just the whole spine, see how mobile that is. After I do all that, then anytime, you know, like I said, there's certain sections in the spine that innervate different organs, right? Mm -hmm. So I find, you know, maybe L1 through three on a horse that's locked up in a row that's going to tell me that that is something that's rooting from an organ. So that's probably going to be like your ovaries, your pelvic room kind of area. So then, you know, that's going to be a game changer. We'll want to maybe talk to a vet about performing what we call a pelvic exam on that horse, pelvic room. And they can go in and make sure that those are, you know, maybe the ovaries are mobile. 
rule out any pathologies, things like that. So in that case, you know, if we find pelvic room issues, we're going to need a vet for that. When I'm testing the rest of the spine, like I say, sometimes you need x-rays on things. So we want to have that vet x-ray, see if we can even mobilize that or what we you know need to accomplish there. But yeah, organs, we just kind of look at the segments and what part of the spine's locking up. And then you follow the neurology to that organ. Do you often see, and, and this might kind of vary on, upon discipline, but do you often see that there are compressions like near the withers? Oh, yeah. From horses going over backwards or racks or... What can be done with that to kind of alleviate some of that compression? Uh, compression, do you mean, are you talking about broken weathers or, you know, maybe not necessarily broken, but like maybe, uh, imbalance on the horse or more, uh, or like stiff on one side over the other, or I don't know if there is, can you have kissing spine up that far? Or is that usually further down the back? Yeah. Kissing spine is normally going to be kind of right below your withers, mm-hmm. but you can have anywhere in the spine. I mean, I found it, it. kind of the weather's there or I've had it down in the lumbar also. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. You can find it either way. Um, but yeah. yeah, just mobilities. We would just adjust the withers and get it. Sure. Get it is what I would do as an osteopath. Yeah. Is there a such thing as not a good candidate to be working, to be getting osteopathic work done? It depends on the horse. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had a lot that sometimes you'll do more damage than good. You know, you have one that's super neurological, maybe like an EPM horse. You may not want to work on that horse because oh, anytime, you know, an osteopath works on a horse, you're wanting to get this kind of shut down and reboot out of the body. Mm-hmm. And when that, sometimes they're going to get better before they get worse because you're changing so much in that body. So if you have a horse that's already sick or its immunity is kind of already compromised to a certain degree, that's probably not one that you want to work on. You want to get whatever's going on with it corrected, you know, have that go see the vet and then, then work on that horse. Um, that, you know, and then obviously certain what you find different x-rays, you're not always going to mobilize there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you, you got to take your precautions. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you are riding, do you do any type of stretching or anything for your horses? Um, I will stretch the neck out a little bit. So one thing here's about stretching. I do like my clients to stretch them through the week, but you always want to make sure that performance wise, if you're going to an event that you give them a good warm up and then you stretch them after mm-hmm. um, the contractibility, those muscles, so especially in like speed events, what we do, you always want to make sure they have a good, I mean, good warm up and then stretch them after. So I normally stretch after I get done okay. riding my yeah, I'll do yeah. some stretches and things like that. Yeah, but that makes sense. I guess warm up and cool down is what I focus on the most, probably. Mm-hmm. Cool. Would you feel like there is an area of the industry kind of within this osteopathic niche that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know much about or doesn't talk a lot about? Yeah, I think especially the organ to spine connection. Um, it's something that's quite overlooked. People, you know, you get pretty hot on injecting everything, mm-hmm. all of these different supplements, things like that, but you don't actually take into consideration the internal health of that horse and how that's affecting the mobility and its performance that way. And it can be just the smallest things. You could have a congested liver 
that's maybe walking up that right shoulder and that horse doesn't want to give in. And, you know, maybe all you need to do is put that horse on a liver flush for a month and then mm-hmm. it's going to get mobile and stay mobile. So, uh, yeah, the organ to spine connection, I think, is something that's pretty overlooked. Yeah, that's amazing. So in your opinion, you feel like looking through uh, and seeing if there's any issues with any of the horse's organs might prevent the horse from having to be on non-essential supplementation or injections? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, kind of an example there would be is if you have an issue in that pelvic room, like say you have an ovary that's a little bit immobile. And when I talk about organ issues as an osteopath, I'm not saying that, you know, like that horse has liver disease or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm talking about the mobility of the organs, the blood flow in and out of those organs, different things like that. We're not really necessarily talking about pathologies like you would from a vet standpoint. So it's a little bit sure. different. So I think that's important to realize, but it could be as something as simple as a congestion on that organ can cause issues in the spine and then cause performance issues. Um, so yeah, like in the case of an ovary, that's maybe not mobile, it's going to lock up your lumbar spine, which will lock up your sacrum. And then you're going to have hawk and stifle issues. So that horse might be unnecessarily injected when really, if you just go in and take care of what's going on with those ovaries, it might resolve itself. Not in all cases, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they do injected, but that's just kind of a little bit of a scenario there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty remarkable if, if, uh, there was a way for people to be a little more in tune with, uh, what's, you know, really going on in a horse's body. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty amazing kind of standpoint for looking at the horse holistically. So as far as your business, how can people, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're too busy and not taking on any more clients, <laughs> but how can people find you? Um, well, I can, you know, if you guys want my number or whatever to post, I can give you that. But I do have, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's Jordan Payne Gallagher Equine Services. And there will actually, there'll be some big changes and stuff coming up. I am taking on new clients. Um, I will travel. It just, you know, I have to get enough horses lined up to wherever I'm going. Um, but I do travel quite a bit. So even, and I drive most of the time. So, you know, if I'm going through your state already, yeah we can get some horses lined up. Um, but yes, that's ways to contact me or both Instagram and Facebook. That's a good way as well. I'm working. I don't have my website quite done yet, but I will be having a website and I hope to have some information articles and do some case studies and things like that on there just for the source for people, you know, if they want to know more about osteopathy. Yeah. I love it. Great. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to make this happen and um, learned a ton. And I know everyone else did too. So um, I wish you all the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.